Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Oh well, it's happened again. Another book about Jesus has been published. It's called Zealot, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth. This, however, seems to me to be a dangerous book. I may be wrong, but it is my understanding that the author is an American citizen who was born in Iran. If it's true that he is a Muslim, as I've heard, then by inference and through what I understand of his new book, he presents what he thinks is the story of Jesus of Nazareth's life. In other words, in his world of Muslim heritage, Jesus did not bring to us ultimate truth. The story of his life, the author says, is far different from that presented in the New Testament. Actually, at times, it is diametrically opposite to it. His general conclusion was that Jesus' ministry was actually leading a nationalist revolt against Rome, and therefore his punishment was for sedition, not blasphemy. I read one interview that described the author as grating in his statements and condescending at times. He wants to give the reader the impression of his superior knowledge so that his conclusions may be more acceptable. Someone remarked that the author has ascribed to Jesus the fundamental attributes and character that are believed in the Muslim world. That is, Jesus was certainly not God, but was just another prophet, but one that failed in his mission. Actually, if you think about it, a man born and raised in a Muslim world would find it difficult to shed the deep understanding of the teaching that he had heard all of his life about Jesus. And this must surely be reflected in the book, he writes. Unless he had a certain encounter with the God of heaven, he cannot represent and present the awesome truth of Jesus of Nazareth in a meaningful way. This book seems to be yet another attempt of the enemy to sell a bill of damaged goods to unsuspecting readers who buy the book, thinking they'll learn more about Jesus, the Savior of the world. They will be disappointed. They will not find the Jesus of the Bible in there. They will not be told about the greatest love of all time, the greatest gift ever given. Nowhere will they read that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only unique son to die for you and me. If they buy this book seeking hope and consolation and answers to life's greatest needs, they'll come away empty, still lost and unforgiven. What a dangerous book this is.
There are so many subtle ways that the devil can try to deceive us. He goes about at times like a roaring lion. We are threatened and afraid and build up our defenses against this obvious attack of the enemy of our souls. It is still a battle and there are victims and injuries and we need direction and battle plans from our captain. Sometimes we even need a little medical help. But there are times when the devil appears also as an angel of light. The inference, of course, is that his appearance, demeanor, and attractiveness are non-threatening. He may even appear inviting to us. He may be beautiful and appear authentic, but this is deceptive. We must be on our guard. We must gird up, as we are told in the scripture, and with various weapons of our faith there to quench those fiery darts when they suddenly appear. Sometimes from out of nowhere, unexpectedly, sometimes from unbelievable sources, from people who we encounter as friends and allies and fellow believers. But again, we must look to Jesus, the author, the finisher of our salvation. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Don't be misled by the camouflaged and misrepresented facts that some try to make us believe. Stay firm. message for today, 
Pastor Alan Lee. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are studying the mysteries of the New Testament, and in particular, the mysteries of the kingdom as presented by Jesus in his parables in Matthew chapter 13. As we saw last week, verse 52 of this chapter is the key to the entire chapter. Jesus presents himself as the master of the storeroom that contains both new and old treasures of truth. We define the mystery as used by Jesus in the parable as the truth that was previously hidden but has now been revealed by God through his word. The mystery kingdom is the period that began with the rejection of Jesus by Israel as their king, the first time he came to establish his kingdom on earth, and the time he will return to finally establish it as a result of the acceptance of him at his second coming. The church age is a part of this interim mystery kingdom. It is called a mystery kingdom because this delay in establishing the kingdom was not revealed in the Old Testament. Jesus uses parables to teach the nature and history of this mystery kingdom. Through their use, he reveals the new truth of the interim kingdom to his disciples. But he also uses these same parables to conceal that truth from the unbelieving Jewish nation as a whole. In so doing, he also fulfills prophecy concerning his ministry. Today, we want to begin to look at the various parables and their meaning as it relates to the mystery form of God's kingdom on earth. And so we begin with the sower and the various kinds of soils, as Jesus teaches in verses 1 through 9. I encourage you to get your Bible and follow along. Turn to Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Quote, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. End of quote. Now that's the parable itself, the content of the parable. It contains new truths from the storehouse of the treasure of God's will. Jesus, the steward or manager of that storehouse, shares these truths with his disciples, those who believe in him as the Messiah King. But then he goes on now to provide the meaning of the parables to his disciples in verses 18 through 23. Again, I invite you to follow along in your Bible if possible. This is where Jesus explains the meaning of the parable of the sower. Verse 18, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. 
But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. End of quote. Now here's the basic truth concerning this mystery kingdom taught in this particular parable. The interim period between Christ's first and second coming as the king of Israel will be characterized by the proclamation of the message of the kingdom and a variety of responses determined by the condition of the heart of the hearers and thus various degrees of spiritual productivity will result. God is the one who affects the germination of the seed, not the sower. Notice what Jesus says in Mark 4.26 concerning this. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. End of quote. Jesus is describing exactly what is happening in this period in which we live, where the word of God is proclaimed. We cannot make the results. We cannot save anyone, as it were. The seed of the word is to be proclaimed. It is then implanted, embedded within the heart of the hearer. When that hearing is accompanied by faith, new life, regeneration occurs. And it is because of the action of God, not because of the preacher. But getting back to our text now, the emphasis Jesus is making here is the difference of receptivity to the message of the kingdom on the part of the hearers. There will be different results depending upon the preparedness of the heart of each individual hearer. Again, I say, this principle holds today, because we are a part of the hearers of the message in this interim period of the mystery kingdom. Our reception of the message of God will be demonstrated by the way we live. But then Jesus teaches another parable. This time it is the parable of the weeds among the wheat, in verses 24 through 30. Again, I read the word of God, because we want you to hear the word of God and not the word of man. Verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. End of quote. 
Now, again, Jesus explains the meaning of this parable to his disciples in verses 36 through 43. So we don't have to guess the meaning. So let me read you then the explanation of this parable of the wheat and tears by Jesus Christ himself. Verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Notice he's only explaining it to his disciples. Verse 37. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the evil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. End of quote. Now the basic truth taught here is that there will be a counter-sowing by Satan, resulting in a false or counterfeit kingdom existing side by side with the true kingdom during this interim period. However, when Jesus returns, his angels or messenger servants will separate the false from the true subjects of the true kingdom. The false subjects will be ejected from the kingdom and consigned to eternal judgment. Jesus' emphasis here is to reveal the new truth of the coexistence of the false and true kingdom and the final judgment of the subjects and ruler of the false kingdom of Satan. This is new truth being taught to his disciples in this chapter. We're just giving an overview. We'll come back to this later on. But then Jesus presents a third parable. This is the parable of the mustard seed in verses 31 and 32. Hear his words again. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and become a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Now, the meaning of this parable here is that Jesus is teaching that the mystery form of the kingdom will start slowly, but grow rapidly. Although small or local in its beginning, will grow and expand into a large or universal kingdom, one in which even those of the false kingdom will be a part. We may call this Christendom. And my friends, that's exactly what has happened, of course. The basic truth taught by Jesus here then is that there will be a rapid or extensive growth of the interim mystery form of the kingdom. This parable therefore emphasizes the visible expansion or growth of the kingdom of God in the time in which we are now living. But then he gives a fourth parable, the parable of the leaven or yeast in the dough in verse 33. This is what he says. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. End of quote. The meaning of this parable is that evil doctrine will permeate the proclamation of the true message of the kingdom, the flower, during the interim period of the kingdom. 
causing it to rise or to grow rapidly. But it will not be all good bread. Some will only be puffed up dough. In other words, it will have form without substance. The basic truth taught here is that the inner and invisible cause for the visible and outward growth of the interim kingdom, Christendom, is truth mixed with error. This results in a kingdom that is not as good or as large as it looks outwardly. In the words of the Apostle Paul, it will have a form of godliness, but denies the power of God in actual application. In other words, the emphasis is upon the insidious, hypocritical effect of false doctrine during this period. Jesus' words have caused my friends, as always, have proven to be true. False teaching propagated by teachers who tickle the ears of the hearers to benefit themselves have caused a false growth in Christendom. Mixture of truth with error is germinated by the evil one and his followers to produce a multitude of followers who look, talk, and even act as wheat, but in actuality are tears sown by the master deceiver himself. This is the period in which we live, in which Jesus teaches about in Matthew 13. This, my friends, is the nature and characteristic of the mystery form of the kingdom. Now, we will take up from this point next time. But right now, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Therefore evermore to stay. Great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and not toiling will. happen in a moment Jesus Christ could come again
Jesus Christ could come again.